0: This is Physician to Physician Plant-Based Nutrition. I'm Tracy Cushing, an emergency medicine physician. I'm also a mom, a wife, four-time Ironman, and I've been plant-based for 11 years. And I'm Eden English. I'm an
1: internal medicine physician, a hiker, a ski boarder, a mom, and I've been vegan for the
0: last five years. We're passionate about helping other doctors learn the science behind plant-based eating so they can help their patients develop sustainable, healthy eating habits
1: each episode, we're breaking down the science behind plant-based eating and answering the questions we know most doctors have and most patients ask.
0: Hey, Tracy. Hey, Eden. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. What'd you have for dinner last night?
1: We are super excited because there is a new Indian restaurant in Highlands Ranch, and I've got to give a shout out. It's called Total Vegan. We've been there three or four times. But it's wonderful, and like all of their takeout boxes are fully compostable. I know that's common in some places, but not everywhere in Denver has it yet. So we're super excited when we find that combination. It's wonderful vegan food, and everything is fairly compostable. I had Gobi Manchurian and Veggie pakora and then I had Tofu sag and some Bang & Barda. So my husband and I split those two main dishes. One's eggplant-based, one has tons of greens and tofu. So good, super fast, super easy, yay total vegan
0: what do you have, Tracy? I am not going to tell you what I had last night. I am going to give a shout out to a restaurant I went to last week when I was traveling in Las Vegas, which actually, as it turns out, is quite vegan friendly and a place called Nacho Daddy that has an entire vegan menu up to and including a chocolate cake that was pretty delicious. And... A queso that is not cashew-based, so I as a nut allergy person can eat it. And I was in total vegan heaven. And so if you happen to find yourself in the city of Las Vegas for whatever reason, nacho daddy. But we are
1: so excited today that we have Dr. Michelle Loy as our guest. Dr. Michelle Loy, MD, FAP, is a nationally recognized physician with board certifications in integrative medicine, lifestyle medicine, medical acupuncture, and pediatrics. She received her undergraduate degree from Harvard, doctorate in medicine from Walt Cornell Medical, pediatric residency training from New York Presbyterian Hospital, Cornell, and integrative medicine fellowship training from Columbia, Stanford. She utilizes evidence-based interventions from both modern medicine and time-tested traditional modalities, including nutrition, movement, acupuncture, botanicals, and mind-body medicine to prevent and manage chronic medical conditions across all age groups at Integrative Health while Cornell Medical. She frequently presents to physicians, patients, and the community on her clinical and research interests, which include nutrition, culinary medicine, botanical medicine, cancer prevention, mental health, women and children's health, group visits, narrative medicine, and physician well being. Dr. Loy has achieved recognition in integrative medicine at national academic conferences. She is a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics, an elected executive board member of the AAP section of integrative medicine, and a member of the Society of Integrative Oncology. In her recreational time, which is a wonder she has any, she enjoys reading, swimming, running, and creating healthful meals for her husband and their five children. So with all that, Michelle, thanks so much for being a guest, and tell us what you had for dinner last night.
2: So last night, yesterday was my in-person day. One and a half hour commute in and one and an hour commute back. So dinner was a combination, a mix and match of things that I had prepared in advance. So we had tofu scramble with tomatoes, pea sprouts, onion, garlic, nutritional yeast. It was really good. And I made a red lentil cracker because one of my kids had asked for it the night before. And that I actually just prepped before I went to work. I just put the red lentils in a blender with water right before I ran out. So sat there all day. And then when I came back, it took all of 20 seconds. They just put it through the Vitamix, poured it on a sheet pan and put it in the oven. And within a few minutes it was ready. So I had that. And then I had curry cabbage, white cabbage, green cabbage, and then a red cabbage braise that I had made earlier. Oh, and I did some air fried chickpeas. So three hour commute, long day of
1: work. And you still managed to put together a healthful plant-based meal when you got home. And the kids liked it. So that was good.
0: huh. I'm going to need that air fry chickpea recipe too, because I have a love-hate relationship with my air fryer. Like I feel like I only eat unhealthy things from the air fryer. So I need to help healthen up my air fryer. <laughs> I just love
2: adding different spices. Like I think... You can do pizza spice. Lately, I've been doing that a lot. Like a pizza spice, just adding like sun dried tomato powder and garlic and oregano and rosemary and basil. Or change it up, make it like Indian or flax spice. So, Dr. Lloyd, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into all this? What's your vegan story? I've always been really interested in nutrition starting back when I was in medical school and eventually decided to go into pediatrics because of the the preventative aspect of medicine there. After residency, I did some private practice pediatrics for a while and then midlife, after raising a bunch of children and actually see in my practice that there are a lot of there are a lot more, Chronic diseases that were coming up in the pediatric population, difficult to treat and manage with the conventional tools that we had. So I decided to go back and do a fellowship in integrative medicine. And that led to additional training in lifestyle medicine, culinary medicine, That has led me to my current position at Cornell, where I just do 100% integrative medicine, one-on-one consultations for children and adults. And also, I run a lot of group visits, including lifestyle medicine, lifestyle transformation, metabolic weight, diabetes, those kind of conditions an oncology group visit, a women's health visit, a prenatal visit, group visit. These are all group shared medical appointments. And what else? We have a yoga, a qigong, a mental health. And we're hoping to do one for the pediatric and adolescent population, perhaps related to autism, ADHD, and also to weight-related conditions. Around the same time that I was considering to get integrated medicine training, we had gone through a family medical crisis, we found that in using the best of conventional medicine, state-of-the-art medication, in conjunction with integrative and lifestyle therapies, was the best way to recover from from that situation. So as a result of that, I learned a lot more about plant-forward diets and a plant-forward eating pattern. And so that has really been brought into our family life
1: I would say, probably in the last six or seven years now. That's incredible. And one theme we're hearing from a lot of our guests is that it wasn't the education in med school that pushed you to a plant-forward diet. It was something that came later, either a personal struggle or a decision to go this way and then looking more into the nutrition. And it sounds like you were looking at chronic disease and pediatrics too, even before your personal story. What did you feel like about the education you got in med school around nutrition? We don't get a lot of nutrition med-
2: medical education. That's the fact. And what little we do is really around n- nutrient deficiencies, which is important. Be like scurvy or metabolic, the Kremp cycle, all the metabolic kind of issues, but not so much nutrition as it relates to chronic disease, which is becoming more and more of an issue, not just adult medicine, but also in the pediatric and adolescent population. A lot of things that we did not see even 20 more than 20 years ago when I trained, we're seeing much more often now. Kids coming in with type 2 diabetes, MODI. Oh, I, I see migraines, I see hormonal issues, dysmenorrhea, I see chronic pain, chronic fatigue. A lot, definitely a lot of anxiety and depression and related conditions, OCD, emotional dysregulation, these kinds of things. And so, this is where we use the best of conventional medicine and other
1: tools in the toolbox that are evidence-based and that we can pull from. With your practice, it, you definitely have conventional meds, and those definitely have a role. But you're focusing much more on other ways that we can improve outcomes focusing on lifestyle what you eat how you move how you interact with society tell us a little bit more about what your approach is okay so when i have a consultation
2: for whatever reason people present with and usually these are patients that have been struggling in some way or other either physically or emotionally and they're looking for another way of approaching their condition so the first pillar i'll use is food culinary medicine. And so I'll usually talk about the evidence for a plant-forward diet. So we have a lot of medical evidence, whether you're talking about the Mediterranean diet or the DASH diet or the Portfolio diet or Blue Zones, the DP, Diabetes Prevention Program. That that was a, a beautiful study that showed lifestyle. It was just as effective as metformin. And so that was a combination of diet and exercise, right? So these are all, and of course, the MIND diet, which is a combination of the Mediterranean and the DASH diet for cognitive health. And so, of course, many older patients could benefit from these kind of diets. But what i like to mention to my pediatric population and my, my, the parents is that all of these benefits from these diets are very much applicable to children because all of these diets have ample evidence on the benefits to cardiovascular health prevention of cancer, cognitive health and every every parent wants their child to be as have a strong mind able to focus attention. We're seeing a lot of ADHD and inattention. And so these are all benefits to this kind of plant 4D diet. And the other thing is that there's a lot of data now with nutritional psychiatry on the benefits of a plant 4 diet on emotional health, on anxiety, depression. so in my mental health, group visit, We, I have a whole section on integrative psychiatry and the foods that are really beneficial for optimal mental health. Whether you're talking about physical health, emotional health, cognitive health, we have plenty of evidence on the benefits. Besides which, you know, there are studies showing the benefits of a plant-forward diet on overall and cause-specific mortality. And these are very large studies. One of them is in 2020 looking at plant-forward diets and overall cost-specific mortality. And then after talk about all of that, I'll usually mention this one study. It was, I believe it's in a pediatrics, but where they did this study where people were either given no breakfast, which is bad, or they were given like pancakes and syrup, or they were given like a balanced Mediterranean-type diet. So basically, the people that were given the pancakes and syrup did much worse than the no breakfast. And this was looking at attention, all that. And so I often talk about the first place you can really set your child up for success is to give them a good breakfast with a good amount of protein, fruits or vegetables, whole grains, with some good protein, some fiber, and some healthy fats. So whether that's like a smoothie, some kids really like smoothies, or whether it's a tofu scramble, or whether it's, Toast with with some kind of nut butter and some fruit. There are a lot of, or something savory. We often think that breakfasts have to be sweet or something, but many cultures, actually most of the blue zone cultures, they often have what we would consider a dinner for breakfast, just beans Mm or a grain with vegetables. So whatever works. But I emphasize that that they need to have a very a balanced kind of situation, whether it's breakfast or lunch or dinner or any snacks. Like I always talk about snacks being a small meal. So whether it's like hummus and carrots or raw vegetables, much more so raw peppers or cucumbers, things like that with some hummus or maybe nuts and dried fruit or something that has a little bit of protein, some fat, and definitely some like a fruit or vegetable or unrefined carbohydrate. And the other thing that I often talk about is what I call America's fiber intake gap, most people are so concerned about getting enough protein. Most of us get, vegan or not, get way more protein than we really need. But 97% of the population, or maybe even higher, does not get the amount of, the amount of fiber that they need. And many of the chronic conditions that I see can really be ameliorated in a great way by by fixing gut health, especially constipation. And so fiber and the microbiome, I think it's very, it's an emerging area of research and it's def- definitely where you get a lot of bang for your buck. And so I do focus a lot on fiber intake. And I don't mean taking like Metamucil or some kind of supplement, getting it in the whole, in a whole food form. form. There's soluble fiber, insoluble fiber. There's prebiotics, probiotics. A lot of people ask me about because I'm in integrative medicine, oh, what about a probiotic supplement? And I did a review paper on actually probiotics and pediatric and adolescent obesity. So I reviewed all the literature. Very interesting. And I'll be honest, the research is still emerging, and we still don't even know how much of the supplement even gets down into the gut. A lot of those papers we were looking at, did you have? Did they have 16R? It's called 16S, where they look to see, is there any evidence of that probiotic down in the gut? And so many times I'll say, in some cases, I will recommend probiotics in specific cases. But in many cases, I say, you're better off just spending your money on buying plant-forward food for your family because the healthy bacteria need to feed on something. So let's say you even spend the money and buy the probiotics and it gets down there, let's say a certain amount. If you don't feed it with the healthy fibers, it's like a garden that you starve. And so it's really important to, I think, get the fiber in the whole food form. But my point is health having a healthy microbiome and we know this is linked to so many aspects of health and I think that's why eating one main reason why eating a plant forward diet has such a benefit to both physical and emotional and cognitive health
0: that's just amazing no that's just amazing you're the first pediatrician that we've had on and so I so much of the historical pediatrics literature about vegan diets has been like you're causing deficiencies and it's child abuse and you're depriving your child. And so it's just so wonderful as someone who raised her child vegan since birth and who's doing thriving and wonderful. It's just so nice to hear like out loud, not only are you not doing harm, you're doing good for them.
2: Let me be clear. Like personally, I feel like plant floor forward, plant exclusive is really the way to go when you're talking about health for sure. But in practicality with different family situations it's not always possible for everyone to to go that way and especially as the children get older and they have more autonomy that's not so
0: easy tell us tell us about that that's because for a lot of folks how do i navigate my home family dynamic in a home where not everyone is making the same choices so how does your family it's a total of 180, but how does your family kind of navigate that, that terrain?
1: And just to add to the question, because I think we, we should clarify for our listeners too. plant forward diets. Like Michelle saying, all of these are plant forward diets, Mediterranean, mine, Dash, Ornish, Blue Zone. So all of the diets that keep getting the healthy accolades are plant forward. And Tracy and I are vegan. We don't eat any animal products for a variety of other reasons for health benefits. You have to go mostly there. You don't have to go all the way there, but you shouldn't end up with a Mediterranean diet that's lamb and feta every day because that's not actually what the Mediterranean diet is. Sorry, but I really want to hear more about how do you balance it with your kids being partly vegan or when you're talking to patients, how do you, what's your answer? What do you, how do you handle all that? The way to go is really to lead by example. And what I've noticed
2: is, and this is something I will tell patients about, especially if the parents would like to go this way, but they're, Kids may not be totally on board yet, but this is, here's one example. I used to make chicken cutlets just for the people who wanted meat. And then I would make tofu cutlets at the same time. And over time, I realized fewer and fewer people were eating the chicken and more of them wanted tofu. And so after a while I was like, all right, now we're just doing the tofu fritlands. And it was just a natural, seamless change. And it wasn't that mom is saying, you can't eat chicken anymore or all this kind of preaching. And And this has happened with many other things. I'll say... And this is the principle that we have used from this is standard pediatrics. I tell my my new moms, the data shows, and, and this was twenty over 20 years ago, and they would say the data was 13 times. You have to give something, let the child try at least 13 times before you say they don't like it. The latest study I saw in 2021 was only eight times where they alternated, it was really interesting, the alternated days between a sweet vegetable and then something else, probably more bitter. And after eight times, it was... The uptake was the same. So my point is, I always say, just provide it frequently and let them decide if they want to try it or not. And after a while, you'd be surprised. The example was the red lentil bread yesterday. I've been making this for a while now. And then all of a sudden, the day before, one of my, one of my teens was like, mom, may I have a piece? And I had made a bunch of, was only a little bit. I was like, I'll make some more for you tomorrow. And then it was funny because then last night when she saw me come home from work, I ran in and I was like blenderizing the lentils and she said, Oh, mom, you're making that today. And then she definitely got a piece because she asked for it. And then the two, two other kids who normally, if you ask them, do they like lentils or beans? They probably say no. They asked for it. And so it's, it just becomes very natural. And in that case, when you do it that way, when they get older and they're completely on their own and they can make their own decisions, it won't be that someone told them they couldn't have it when they were younger, and then they flipped the other way. It comes from their said experience, how they feel, what they've enjoyed, and just becomes part of their life. So that's my, that's my take. And the other thing is there are many things that people say, oh, it's a part of my family culture to have pot roast or whatever. And I always tell them, okay, what are your favorite foods? And there are definitely very easy ways to make swaps. And the key really is the spices. Many times that feeling of comfort or the smells or the those wonderful feelings you get from eating those comfort foods, it's really related to the spices and how you cook it rather than whether there's meat or not.
1: You mentioned balancing your meals with protein too. What are some of your favorite plant-based sources of protein? Because I assume you didn't mean for everybody to eat bacon and eggs for breakfast.
2: Yeah. So my favorite sources of protein, so definitely like beans and lentils. And what does that mean? So that could be like, um, here's an example of kind of some of the common things that I'll make at home. I have a Mapo tofu. It's a Chinese tofu dish with black beans, fermented black beans, actually. And anyway, I figured out a recipe that I make my own black bean sauce. That's a lot Some of those sauces are very processed. So I'll do that. The tofu fruit I mm. mentioned is really easy. The no-fried refried mm. beans, that's really easy. I, I could just use that with like instant pot. Chili and cornbread, they really mm. like that. Rice and beans is a big one. The rice and gondoles. And I, they like it with rice. And you could even I've done it with cauliflower rice before for people who need to be on a, a lower carbohydrate diet for whatever reason. That's very good. Lentils work really well for the spaghetti sauce, like a lentil bolognese, that's easy swap. And then I'll use like chickpeas a lot for either like a tuna salad, no tuna salad, or egg salad, that's very easy. Vegan egg rolls, so you can use like either, you can use like a lentil or a tofu. What else? Oh, a frittata, like I'll use the chickpea flour. I'll grind up my own chickpeas or use best, a basan, they call it. And that makes a very, it's a super easy way to substitute like a quiche, basically. And you could put all kinds of vegetables in it. And you can actually even use that to make it into something like a kind of a sweet, like a dessert, either like a bread or like a cake kind of thing. And it, depending on how much liquid you put in, it can even become like a custard. So either savory or sweet. Edamame is another protein snack that we use a lot. Those
1: all sound wonderful. Do you have any recommendations when athletes. And Tracy, I know you've talked about this a ton. We've covered this a ton too. I have a ton of patients that insist that they need to get more protein for their athletic stuff. D- Does that happen in your line of work? And how do you address their urge to get well over the recommended 0.6? They're at 100 grams a day or more.
2: Yeah. In some cases, if somebody is there either and I think Tracy probably knows this more, but if they're like a marathon runner, or especially if they're building weightlifting, or they may need a slightly higher, and my older patients who may be more at risk for sarcopenia may, may need slightly more protein, but it's not that hard to get there. You can easily do it with beans and tofu. You can add nuts and seeds. Especially, I would say then if they need that, they can put it in smoothies or where they can take in large amounts of calories, more calorie dense into their body. Even someone who is needing, who is training and eating many more calories, if they're getting, if they get enough calories and they eat a well-balanced plant-forward diet, they will get enough protein. The problem is when people don't get enough, they restrict their calories. They're not getting enough calories and they're not eating nutrient-dense plant-based food. That's when they get in trouble. Of course, people can, if they really are having a hard time getting it, let's say for my oncology patients or where they're not able to take in so much in food, then in those cases, I may add like a protein powder. But generally, I start with food first. And again, like a nut butter or tofu, beans, seeds, those are my go-to to to increase the nutrient density and the calorie content and the protein content.
0: Since you... Brought up oncology, a topic near and dear to my heart. Can you tell me what you tell breast cancer patients about eating soy products and tofu?
2: This is a bi- the biggest question that I get, not just from patients, but from other doctors or oncologists. So this question came up because soy is a phytoestrogen and soy is not the only plant that's a phytoestrogen. There are others as well, flaxseed and other things that have plant estrogen compounds. And so the thought is, oh my, if somebody has estrogen positive tumor, should they not have soy? Is that gonna feed the cancer? Number one, there are different receptors. There's an alpha and beta estrogen receptors. And actually most of soy binds to beta receptors, which tamps down the, the cancer pathways. And the small amount that does bind to the alpha receptors actually acts like a tamoxin, like a block car. This is how I describe it. It's, it sits in the place of the receptor so that the stronger estrogens can't bind to it. So it's almost like a tamoxin or inhibitor where it's selectively, it's like a selective estrogen res- modulator where it, it's not allowing the stronger estrogens to be there. So it's actually beneficial. Besides which, soy also, the, the beta receptors, it binds to the bone, all the things that are really good about estrogen that we lose when we become postmenopausal. So bone health, heart health, all of that. So... That's one side. Now, then the other thing is if you look at all the epidemiologic evidence, it's pretty, pretty strong now. And I looked into it very carefully. Soy intake in teens, teen girls, is preventive against cancer, breast cancer. Soy intake in adulthood is also preventative against cancer. Soy intake in people with estrogen, positive, negative, on tamoxifen, not on tamoxifen, premenopausal, postmenopausal, is all protective against breast cancer, mortality, and all-cause mortality. That's what the epidemiologic studies show. And the reason probably is because of what I just started off explaining before, that the the way that soy interacts with the estrogen receptors is different from non-phytoestrogen. And so that's why I definitely recommend my patients. I definitely say it's totally fine to have soy a couple times a week. Now, if they have a sensitivity and they don't like it, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Then try other beans or legumes. That's fine. It's not a big deal, but you don't have to avoid it for sure. And probably it has a lot of benefits. What I will say is that in this one area, I do recommend it being organic. Organic foods can be a lot more expensive. And so I usually recommend people look at the EWG working group each and use that Clean 15 Dirty Dozen to guide. And if it's a question of Vegetable or fruit or no vegetable or fruit, then I say just take anything, even commercial, who cares? It doesn't really matter. But in the case of soy, because of the GMO, I do recommend buying that organic. And also it should be in the whole soy form. When you look at the data, it's whole soy that's, all that data I told you is from whole soy in food form, not like a soy supplement, not like isoflavone. The data on there is not so clear right now. And so we're not talking about soy powder. We're not talking about isoflavone supplements. We're talking about whole soy, like edamame, tempeh, tofu, soy milk. The other thing is it's super helpful for patients going through cancer treatment, especially if they have, are were put on an AI, like aromatase inhibitor or whatever, and then they have hot flashes. I have so many patients who wanted to go off their aromatase inhibitor, even though their oncologist is recommending this is the best course for you to take. And through acupuncture and also just adding a little bit of soy milk to their diet, they were able to adhere to that treatment. And so a lot of times, this is what I tell my oncology colleagues who refer to us, these integrative approaches and dietary and lifestyle approaches can help patients adhere to the protocol that is best for their overall health. And so I'll tell patients, okay, if you get the joint pains from the AI, if you do, and you may not, because there's placebo nocebo, but if you do, don't just stop the medication. We have ways to help you get through it so that you can have the best outcome. And, and Dr. Barnard, they did a study looking at, this is not specific to cancer, but menopausal women, and where they gave the, they gave the, the intervention of soybeans and how it, it really helped with their hot flashes, especially the moderate to severe ones. So whether it's oncology-related or
1: non-oncology-related, soy really is very beneficial. And just while we're still on soy, from the other side of the spectrum, a colleague asked me yesterday, aren't you worried about precocious puberty feeding your kids all that soy? And I was like, no, but i have heard the opposite, that plant-based diets tend to delay puberty, which is better and healthier. Do you have any guidance on that? Yeah, I am not worried about
2: precocious puberty and soy intake. I have not seen that in my practice at all. And in general, actually, so there was a study fairly recently. This was looking at—I'll have to get it, it. It was looking at maybe like toddlers and vegan. It was a pretty large study and vegan. And basically, there was no, there was no difference in health outcomes at all. It was all all equal. It was just that the vegan population tend to be slightly lower in weight, but not in a neg- not in a dangerous zone at all. And it, it, totally like a normal zone, but just tend to be slightly lighter. And I agree with that. A lot of the preposterous pre-breed is really associated with, unfortunately, we have more and more issues with metabolism and overweight and obesity. And so we definitely know there is definitely a connection there. And also probably a lot of the xenoestrogenic and estrogenic input from perhaps, we don't know for sure, but from dairy and other sources that It's hard to say, but we we don't know. That may be a factor as well. It's a complicated issue. It's not all one reason, but yeah, that's not something that I
1: worry about at all. You mentioned prebiotics too, which I took that class at eCornell. I took the plant based class. I've mentioned it on the show before and I loved it. I've been preaching about prebiotics and getting 30 plants a week since then, and it's wonderful. Talking to all the patients about it, though, you mentioned because I say prebiotics and they're fiber, and then immediately my patients say, I take a fiber supplement. That's not as good. We have data that shows that really it, it's fine if it's your absolute backup and you can't eat anything with fiber, but really the evidence is that you need to eat more fiber to keep your gut microbiome healthy.
2: Yeah. So I think the thing is the prebiotic rich foods are basically plants. When you eat plants, you're getting fiber. That's true. But you're also getting the phytochemicals in the plants that are really beneficial for our health. And if you take it as a powder, you're not really getting the, the, all the other phytochemicals in it. And we talk about the entourage effect. The entourage effect of... Here, I'll give an example. Berries. So berries, if this is something I talk about with my oncology patients. So berries have a compound in them that is actually very similar to the way tamoxifen works. But berries also have you know, antioxidants, anthocyanins. They have fiber in them. They have all kinds of countless. I have one slide that I give to, to show patients. I think it's on spinach. I just took one plant. And I talk about all the different phytochemicals. There's probably 15 or 20 in there and all their potent, potential health effects. It's the entourage effect. You're, it's affecting a lot of different other pathways in the body in small ways. And that by eating a diverse plant-based
1: diet, you're getting all of those little inputs, which have immeasurable effects on health love it i think that's much more artful than the way i usually say it i tend to say there's no easy button you have to actually eat the food but i love what you said more so i'm going to work on my game we touched on supplements and it sounds like that's generally not what you recommend that you tend to point people towards the foods rather than the supplements is that accurate or do you want to say anything else about your your supplement
2: use i may use supplements in very targeted cases for different reasons maybe magnesium sometimes but it's not because of deficiency with magnesium Or, yeah, but I generally start with food as medicine first. Supplements are supplementary, much like medications,
1: and you use them only if you really need to. So, if you had to tell other integrative medicine or other practitioners one or two things, what pieces of advice would you want to give to those other practitioners about how they can incorporate this into their practice or what's most important to incorporate?
2: I would just mention, I think that integrating these, some of these, points I've mentioned, integrated medicine and lifestyle medicine and culinary medicine can be very easily integrated into your practice in a low and no cost kind of way. And with very substantial benefits, if, you, if they're integrated into a patient's daily life or regimen. And I would say it really helps to listen to the patient and find out what What's motivating them, what they're trying what they're trying to target in their life and then go from there. That's that, that's the approach I use. I like to find out what really, how do I put it? what I'll see something in their eyes. Oh, when I talk about that, they light up. then I know that's the approach. like whether it's through food or maybe it's through sometimes it's not through food. Maybe it's encouraging them to I had one patient it was like adopt a pet. Because I knew that if they had if they adopted a dog, they would have to walk the dog every morning, early in the morning, get sun on their retina, walk out, and they would be have to do a little bit more physical activity. And then starting with that, eventually, they start feeling better, then they notice that they eat certain foods. they don't feel so well, so they start making changes that way. So it depends on there are diff- many different pathways to get to the place of health, but it depends on, where the patient is at and where their interest is i
0: think you have such a breadth of experience how can other practitioners i guess learn more about integrative medicine or expand their knowledge of integrative medicine maybe not necessarily doing a fellowship or other stuff like that is there any are there any courses sites cme whenever anything that you recommend for people that want to learn more about incorporating this into their practice
2: yeah i guess i would Definitely left look left in the Andrew Weil Center for Integrated Medicine. That's where I did my fellowship, one of my fellowships. And the other source I would mention is American College of Lifestyle Medicine. So I did the board certifications with that. They have a lot of really good resources. And there's actually a free Food as Medicine CME course. It's being offered for free into many circles. If you're an AAP member, American Academy of Pediatrics, you get it. Many of the hospitals in New York, if you happen to be in New York City because of Mayor Adams there and you're a healthcare professional, you can get that for free. I would recommend that. And if you're in academics, the Teaching Kitchen's research collaboration does a lot of culinary medicine there. And there are other, there are culinary medicine courses. There's one done at Harvard and there's one, Tulane also has a big program there. Yeah. And and if you're a physician in training, it's being brought into a lot more medical schools and residencies as well. But you can reach out to me and I can point you to more resources if there's a specific area you're interested in. And one thing I didn't say was just like having a plant in your office, like herb plant. No, I'm serious because then you can actually start talking about soil and probiotics, the whole soil health, and then break off a piece of rosemary, they can smell it. It's my, it's just a whole like, there's a lot and you don't have to be outside. You can be in like New York City with a bunch of buildings. Like you're not gonna have any grass. So at least some greenery there.
0: There's so much. No, we love it. We'll have you back for sure. Next season talk, we're gonna be talking about different phases of life, pediatrics, pregnancy, geriatrics, athletes. And I would love to do one on just the outdoors and the importance of exercise and nature in in that. So That would be wonderful. This is Tracy and Eden signing off. Less meat means less disease. Go have a happy plant-based day.